0: welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. It is June 2022. It is graduation season. It is the 175th anniversary of the City University of New York. And I'm very happy today to be joined on the show by the Chancellor of CUNY, Felix Matos Rodriguez, who was joined, will join me in just a minute to talk about The many graduations he's been attending or looking on from afar as a chancellor, uh, what's happening at CUNY, how this year has gone with the return of in-person schooling at CUNY, the challenges coming uh, out of COVID, still dealing with COVID, uh, where things stand in terms of uh, CUNY's budget, uh, recent influx of federal relief funds, a, a pretty darn good state budget for CUNY and much more we're going to get into a lot here i'm very pleased to be joined by chancellor matos rodriguez in just a moment first if you've missed any episodes of the show you can find them all at max politics wherever you get podcasts or at the gotham gazette website I've had several uh, really good recent guests and a whole bunch more over the last weeks and months, of course, but just in the last couple of weeks, I was joined by Jamani Williams to make his closing argument, so to speak, in the Democratic primary for governor. Uh, I was joined by MTA Chair and CEO, Jen Lieber to talk about the state of the MTA. Uh, That was part of a live event actually hosted by Citizens Union where I was interviewing uh, MTA Chair and CEO Lieber there talking about the Rent Guidelines Board, talking with a couple of retiring state legislators, Assemblymember Dick Gottfried and State Senator Diane Savino, and many other great guests. So find any of those or other episodes at GothamGazette.com or at Max politics, wherever you get podcasts. And of course, at GothamGazette.com, we have a lot more uh, in our recent reporting on things going on in New York City and state politics and government, especially the Republican primary for governor, the Democratic primary for governor, many other elections happening uh, in both the June primaries and the August primaries coming up, and a whole lot more related to the new city budget. Uh, $101 billion spending plan. And we'll ask uh, CUNY chancellor about that as well. Uh, and a lot more happening there. So find all of our recent reporting, guest opinion pieces and so forth at GothamGazette.com. All right. Chancellor Matos Rodriguez, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Ben delighted to uh, to be here and and uh, and to follow such a distinguished list of guests that you've had in the in, in your show but uh, thank you for the for the work that you do and and for the work also the Iette does in terms of um, keeping New Yorkers in form of key issues.
0: Appreciate that thank you and I should say that um, you are uh, by way of background, you're the eighth chancellor and the first chancellor of color, first of uh, Hispanic background to be chancellor of the City University of New York. So a history maker uh, in your own right at CUNY, the largest public uh, university system in the country, of course. And you've been in the position uh, just over three years now. You took took over as chancellor in, in May of 2019. Uh, boy, I, I bet uh, uh, seven or so months, nine, seven, nine months from when COVID hit. That was uh, not what you expected to be dealing with here for the bulk of of your tenure. But um, you know, you've been guiding the university through this very tumultuous time and, and want to um, obviously thank you for your service doing that to the to the city and uh, the students and everyone else who relies on on CUNY. Well, th- um, th-
1: thank you for that. And clearly, as you said, it was not exactly the script that uh, um you know, I thought I was going to be following uh, when I became chancellor. And, but I think that I was in good company with a lot of many New Yorkers who were trying to uh, make sense of the pandemic, remain safe, keep seeing the movie, keep uh, the city moving forward. Um, and, uh, and I'm just delighted that we have a, an incredible uh, a team uh, of faculty staff that went the extra mile, the administrative team, too, in partnership with so many others in the city. Uh, trying to keep the momentum of our students going um, and being part of how the city, you know, got out of the pandemic and how the city gets out of the economic effects of the pandemic now.
0: So I wanna talk about a whole lot uh, of that, Um, but I wanna ask you, we're speaking here on Thursday, June 23rd. Most people won't hear this for a few more days, but um, the Supreme Court just, just handed down a ruling in this gun case in New York. And there's this discussion right away that with the Supreme Court striking down, uh, a New York law that makes it much more difficult for people to carry concealed weapons. There's going to be a lot of assessment coming up in the courts among lawmakers about um, sort of special places where uh, concealed gun carrying will be prohibited if, if you know, certain restrictions and laws are allowed to be enacted in the wake of this. I just wanted to see if you had a reaction to this and if, you know, how CUNY as a system is going to be thinking about this because universities are one of the first places that people talk about as some of these protected, uh, you know, particularly uh, special places where such uh, rules might need to be applied.
1: So, I mean, I can think of three things that come to mind um, as a result of the ruling. You know, One is that Uh, at the end of the day right the city university will will abide by the 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 ongoing laws of the state and 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 the country so i i would imagine that this case will uh invite the ongoing rethinking about you know what what kinds of logical safety uh precautionary measures can be taken to address this uh, gun violence uh, wave that we have in a way that is consistent with our constitutional framework, right? And and I think that we have found times that even though um, folks can be disappointed in a court ruling in that direction, it just invites uh, our lawmakers to really uh, sort of hone down a bit more and and find a, a way in which you know in accordance to the constitution we can create some spaces where um, um, where guns are not to be found. Right? Uh, I would I would think that our college campuses as places that sort of bring large numbers of people that have uh, people also, not just students, we have community events and all those things, right, that you want to have the the least um, amount of presence of guns, right, that can lead to um, an unfortunate incident. Um, and uh, and then the, the other space, you know, Ben, is that we are the place in the university where ideas and public policy are generated, right? So uh, part of our 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 role in the city. And uh, normally in this area tends to be our John Jay College of Criminal Justice, um, you know, who's debating, you know, sort of what are the right policy moves that we need to do in order to curb this uh, gun violence epidemic that we're facing. So um, some of what I said is the effect that it has on us, what I would hope Um, folks would include in terms of um, the the amount of traffic and and people that we have in our campuses Um, and then third that space for innovation and ideas that we all need right as we try to find out ways to um, to limit the the gun violence in our streets.
0: Thank you. Um, you've been speaking at a number of, of graduations here. Uh, it's been uh, it's it's uh, always an exciting, hopeful season. Uh, graduation time uh, every year can be different in terms of the circumstances that these are occurring under. When you've been speaking at different graduations within the CUNY system, what's been some of your overarching messages to the graduates this year?
1: Well, first, the joy of being able to do them in person. You know, we did the best we could in terms of celebrating the students who graduated in the previous two years, and that was done mostly uh, virtually. Uh, I think that uh, if anyone has been to a CUNY commencement, and I think everybody feels that commencement's always on the longer side, right? But that, but that component aside, um, so many of our students—the first one in their family to graduate from college—is not just an individual achievement. The entire family that is there uh, celebrating the achievements of this of this individual. Um, so the in-person celebration of that, I think, is is particularly valuable. When you look at the crowd, when you look at the parents, we look at the students—the incredible diversity that we have in terms of the students and where they come from, and where their families come from, it just gives you that that rene- that uh, sense of what New York is all about and and, and what makes us special. Uh, I've always been a sucker for commencement since I was faculty. It's a celebration of everything that's really important about the work that that um, that that we do. Uh, so for me, it's been a great chance to get re-energized. Uh, as you hear, for example, some of our student speakers, the valedictorians, and such inspiring stories. Um, many of them, immigrant children or immigrants, individuals that face incredible obstacles and overcame them, and they did so during a pandemic, right? So if if doing that in normal times is something uh, worthy of praise, think about that perseverance at a time of the pandemic. So I've been um, celebrating them, I've been reminding them that they're part of a great tradition, whatever the college campus they come from and the City University of New York, um, that they're as worthy as the many distinguished alums that we've had over 175 years, uh, but with some special sauce, which is that they did it during the pandemic. Uh, So it's been, again, I I attended, I believe, seven or eight commencements, um, and it was a joy. Uh, to be there and celebrate all oh, that's good about CUNY and our students, we graduated 55,000 students. Um, so if you think about the magnitude of that and the importance of that as they go into the workforce in the city, um, it was, again, a, a great joy um, and, and, uh, and a great finale to what has been a complicated year.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, the vast majority of CUNY graduates stay stay in New York City after
1: graduation, right? Between 80-85%, yep, stay. It's right. a great investment for the city of New York because uh, you're educating New Yorkers who stay and, and contribute to the intellectual life, to the economy, uh, to the civic engagement, all those things in our city.
0: Mm. And... This particular graduation season, there's obviously challenges. It's a challenging time continuing during COVID, much you know, better circumstances in a lot of ways than the last two years um, that, that graduations were occurring under. Big picture speaking, these graduates are heading into a pretty good economy with, uh, you know, low unemployment and a lot of job opportunities. What's your sort of sense of of how this class of CUNY graduates is entering the the workplace? Obviously, some are going on to graduate studies and other things, but um, entering into the the economy at a at a fairly positive time overall.
1: Well, I mean, the first thing is I am. So- so pleased for them because obviously their predecessors the last you know couple of classes were facing a very different labor market and and uh, so in that sense and we were very hard uh particularly with our first cohort right after the pandemic hit in being supportive of making sure they made it to the finish line and that they had uh additional upskilling opportunities and other things to make them more competitive in what was then a really really tight and messed up labor market because of all the lockdowns and all the effects in in the economy. So in that sense, it's a reason to celebrate. Uh, uh these students moving forward um many of them uh remind them that um they're probably going to need additional education in their lives they're going to have to probably come back at some point and retool and reframe and that we always will be there for them as an option that provides both um you know quality education and it's very affordable um i usually do a um uh, uh, an exercise when I'm at commencement, I asked the first one in their, in their family to get a college degree to stand up and easily between two thirds or 75% of the students there, I get up and do that. Um, wow. And then also who's going to another CUNY school, uh, either transferring from a community college to a four-year school or going to grad school. And it was a large number of students who were doing that there, right? Mm-hmm. So very encouraged by that, by by that phenomena. The, the other part that I'll add, Ben, and I know is something that is a topic dear to your heart, is that um, we want this recovery to be an inclusive one. And we want, um, we just don't want to go back to a good economy as we have before the pandemic. We want to go to a better economy and one where there's more equity. And clearly, when you see diversity that the students from CUNY bring, it is really the only way that you get diversity at scale in the city of New York, right? And diversity from race gender ethnicity but also socioeconomic class so i'm delighted that these students now have the tools to be able to be competing there for those jobs and creating uh, a new york that is much more equitable than we've had in decades past
0: how ready are your graduates for the modern workplace uh there's a lot of discussion out there obviously about um you know the increase in in tech jobs across so many sectors of the economy uh, the way that obviously the economy continues to evolve, uh, modern economy, whether CUNY and other education institutes are keeping up. Um, how how ready, again, this is obviously very broad strokes. It's hard yeah. to, to capture it all. There's a lot of diversity and nuance. But how are you assessing, let's say, uh, how ready your graduates are for the modern economy, for the workplace? And what are what's being done to make sure that that's an ever-increasing uh, sort of assessment and number and percentage.
1: So, thank you for that question. So, let me. Um, I, I think one part of your question is the marketplace will 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 give you a signal as to how ready your students are, right? And and the employment numbers are 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 good, um, but I think that this is um, work that is never done that the the our work to continue to be in engagement with um um employers professional schools uh you know and when i say employers sort of you know writ large right in terms of uh the economy is something that is ongoing work for us you can never be satisfied that that the work that you're doing is enough because it's going to continue to to evolve um one thing that we're doing, just to give you a sense, is we're engaging a lot more with our friends in the DOE, the Department of Education, which I know that that is very also dear to your heart, uh, to begin to um, insert in those students in which 80, 80%, 85% of them are going to come to CUNY, uh, thinking about career path, options, what things I can do, so they come to us with a much better sense of what some of those possibilities are, maybe even with some credits ahead of time, maybe with some thinking about um, their assets and their passions and their interests, uh, additional information about the labor market so they can think about those things. Um, So we're in conversation with DOE about how it would be more intentional in in our collaboration uh, in getting the students ready when they come to the campus. The career readiness, and how the students connect to the world of work is one of my highest priorities. If if you think about the the Ratchetti study saying that CUNY is probably the country's best engine of social mobility. Uh, it's been done on affordability and a good quality education. Our work on the career engagement, I think, has been average. There's a lot of room there for improvement. Uh, And it's one area that I wanted to emphasize coming in as chancellor, because if you think that about half of our students are first-generation college students, we need to be that entity that they have not thought about what's next after college. They have not thought about where they see themselves in in a profession, in a career, uh, in an opportunity. We need to be very intentional about providing those opportunities. So we began partnership with the um, New York City Jobs Council, the space that was created by Jamie Diamond and 30 New York companies. We are sort of uh, one of the main educational partners looking at curriculum based on what they need and bringing that into our classroom to get um, our students as students ready to be responsive to that. Um, we have uh, a faculty fellows program because faculty are a key part of the equation. So they bring back in each different area how they can be more responsive to making students be ready for the world of of work. Uh, I want to go in down in history as a patron saint of paid internships for our students. If you think about um, a paid internship, it does it puts money in the students' pockets, right? So it it helps to address transportation issues, food insecurity issues, some of the things that you and I know are impediments to completing high school and college. And then it has the ROI of giving you an experience of the world of work So we have intensified our efforts in that area. We have a CUNY launch uh, with support from the mayor as part of this budget uh, opportunities this summer for 2000 student uh, interns. We have prioritized students who did not have an internship before. We have so far 11,000 applicants for those 2000 spots, right? So the students need are- more spots. The employers are hungry for that. And the last thing I said about these paid internships, which we're replicating all over, actually we might be doing some work with the MTA on this area, you said you had um, Dan as, as one of your guests, is that we have data. The students who participate in a paid internship, they graduate faster, right? And when they go to work immediately after graduating, they get a job faster and their first time pay is higher. Uh, so those are all areas that we are really, really doubling down in partnership with, with with employers. And I think it's particularly important in this time of the recovery of New York that we double down on those efforts.
0: Any work being done to fill that gap of the uh, 2,000 spots with 11,000 applicants? I mean, is there anything you can do? And, and is the private sector... pulling its weight in terms of offering paid
1: internships? One of of the good things is that once we identify that you're interested, there's other programs we can connect you with, right? Uh, One uh, great model, it began after Sandy with the CUNY Service Corp which was paid internships for CUNY students to participate in nonprofits that were doing work associated with the recovery after Sandy. And we have now doubled that model in so many things. We have a culture core, which is students who are participating in our cultural institutions, getting paid internships, thinking about that very important sector of our economy, which is the cultural institutions, right? And being connected to that line of work. We get money from the mayor's office to do that. The Mellon Foundation gave us additional money to do that. During the census, we had a census court. Students with paid internships participating in working with the nonprofits in New York that were moving uh, New Yorkers to do the census. We have a reading court working with the DOE, helping students with literacy. So we're replicating that model of paid internships. Um, We have a tutor course, which is students who are going to the DOE, tutoring students uh, in math and some key areas to get them ready for college level work. So that model of getting our students real life work experience and giving a paid internship, we are doing it all along. So if we know you're interested, then we find a way to match you with some of the other opportunities.
0: You mentioned the CEO uh, Jobs Council and the and the sort of assessment of how curriculum might be adapted to better prepare students for the world of work, obviously, as you know, as a, as a former professor um, you know, there's always a, a tension there in terms of uh, an academic environment and not wanting it to all, you know, be so focused on sort of what's your job going to be? Are you ready for, are you ready for a job and and so forth? And I'm sure you're getting some of that feedback in those discussions. And as you mentioned in your work with the faculty on these questions as well. Um, so I just wanted to ask in terms of that effort, um, When when do you expect there to be sort of a product, a design, a a a plan out of that work to to reassess some of how you're doing that work?
1: Well, so so that work is ongoing, right? I mean, in 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 the areas uh, of the of the work of the of the council, for example, they're working with whatever disciplines they are. If it's Cybersecurity to touch upon something which is very hot, right? So what we're learning there is going back to uh, to the curriculum of the campus as an area of emphasis. And what you want is an ongoing loop. This is not something that is going to. What you want is to have the two sides more engaged, learning from each other, and then knowing what needs to be uh, uh, to be adapted. There's some areas where that is. Uh, more direct. there's other areas where I think the work that needs to be done is not that you are um, let me give you an example I'm a historian I think you are one uh, but let's think about anthropology right? you're taking an anthropology class uh, you're learning about probably the cultures of a different part of the world or a part of the US if you're doing something local um, but you're having talking about co- the importance of cultural difference right uh, That class might be about the Caribbean. Uh, but those are skills that someone is going to be doing, for example, marketing is really valuable. So the the work, for example, of a faculty member there, right, it might be to work in their subject area, but then also be more intentional about reminding the student that with these skill sets, here's this world of possibility that you can explore, right? So I think that they're not in contradiction in terms of um. Um, Of course, if you're doing cybersecurity, that sounds a lot more sort of pre-professional, right? But plenty of things in the liberal arts where there are skills that the employers want. And I think our job is to be more intentional about telling the student, you have this, let the employers know you have them, right? And continue to nurture them.
0: Are you expecting um, new degrees uh, to come out of some of this work? (laughs) Are you expecting... uh a lot of new courses to come out of this work or is it much more about uh, adjustments to the current degrees and courses that you offer
1: so i think that you're talking about work at the curriculum level right and 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 many of our programs also have advisory boards um, that provide that kind of feedback on an ongoing basis. And actually, uh, academic programs normally go through a, a, a cycle of, I think, three, I mean, between three and five years of review. And it normally includes that kind of feedback, too. So that is already baked in into the culture. We need to make those connections easier, both for faculty and for advisors and for our friends in, in 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 the employer sector sort of coming to us. I also think that moving forward. Uh, we see a desire on people on having credentials that are broken up in sort of smaller units that um, I I really only have time to do this six months. What can I do for six months that gets me into the correct path? And it's a building block maybe to another program that might take two, but I am going to do it in stages. So I think part of what you're gonna be seeing higher ed more is um, uh, different packaging of that curriculum in different um modalities that uh are more flexible for the students that we're having based up based you know vis-a-vis their uh their life cycle. Uh if if you want to come in and all really you can do is work, uh be get something for six months for a year, we want to be able to give you something that is meaningful, but then we remind you, you might want to come back and stack it up and create a degree. And I think that that's what you're going to see a lot more of those uh, uh, micro-credentials, as they call, and, and and things of that nature, which provide more flexibility. And I think it's something that students, both traditional college age, but also some of the folks who are outside and they need retooling want.
0: Interesting. Uh, a lot more interesting stuff to discuss there, but I do want to get to a few other things with you. So as we are talking about... Um, the the graduates this year you you mentioned uh, we both mentioned obviously these very trying uh, COVID years there's been some drop in enrollment at CUNY I don't know if you have uh, more of a precise number to put on that it, it, it's somewhere in the five to ten percent range from what I can tell but um but those numbers are are often very fluid obviously um, maybe you have an update on sort of this end of year numbers or what next you know next year's enrollment is looking like as we look towards the beginning of next school year and where things stand versus pre-pandemic enrollment numbers.
1: So clearly the 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 pandemic has uh affected enrollment um and enrollment not just in in at CUNY but across the nation right and the sector that has been impacted the most are the community colleges right mm-hmm. who served are more are most vulnerable students, if you think about who COVID affected the most, right, in terms of communities of color, uh, individuals that are in some sectors of the economy uh, that were more vulnerable, uh, more part-time workers, uh, that is kind of part of the profile of our community colleges, right? So mm-hmm. you should not be totally surprised that as that population was affected economically, personally, medically, Right, that 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 might have a correlation with maybe deciding to uh, not going to higher ed or postpone higher ed um, in in some way or not be ready for it uh, either emotionally or uh, financially to do that. Right, so that is the sector, right, that um, we have seen the biggest the biggest decline. Uh, you know, in the community college sector, we've lost. Uh, in in the in the last fall from the previous fall, about nine nine thousand four hundred students, right, which is you know a sizable a sizable number, and um, and we also uh, the Department of Education is one of our biggest uh, feeders. That uh, sector was also impacted by the pandemic in terms of the students um, um, either dropping out from uh the k-12 uh or then deciding they didn't want to uh continue let's say with more online classes because they were not happy with that modality to give you one example uh or some of the other ways which affect why people go to college right which is uh ben is not really sure but ben is a really good friend of fellow and fellow's going and ben goes "Well, if fellow's going I'm going to be going too, and you know that that effect on students, and I know that you were um, in the classroom before, is real, right? And when you had a lot less of that physicality and those uh, things happening because we were remote, uh, that also has an effect on uh, on our enrollment. So um, we hope that and and the hard economy. You mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. Traditionally, a hard economy means that people decide to go to work as opposed to get particularly associate's degree, to give you an example, right? So I think all those things have lined up to to hit us on, on the enrollment front. Uh, the the number of uh, African-American and Latino, and particularly males, is a category that has been particularly affected. We've been doubling down in our marketing efforts, particularly for those groups. We've been working um, with the DOE, uh, a couple of bridge campaigns, as we call them, trying to connect with the students who said they wanted to go to college, began the application process, and didn't show up, and being intentional about trying to, uh, to get them back, help out individuals with financial aid forms, which as you know is a huge way in which we lose students and they lose the money to be able to pay for college. Um, So we're really doubling down on uh, on those efforts. Um, The recent budget that was approved uh, included um, uh, $4.4 million for this CUNY Reconnect, which is an initiative that came from the speaker modeling work being done in Tennessee. Uh, about this is for individuals who are out there who did not finish and have some college to be able to get back and retool and get that credential. We think that that's going to be another market share of enrollment that we're going to be able to get, um, uh, to get back. So we're looking at all those efforts. And uh, I know that in many cases, folks signal the loss of enrollment as mostly associated with dollars and cents right, in terms of the revenue. But clearly, I look at that too. But for me, it's a human cost. It's a human cost at this time when we wanna get the economy back, when, when some sectors are hot, when other sectors need to get reactivated, uh, where we wanna do it in an equitable way, that we don't have some of our most vulnerable folks thinking that that credential is gonna make a difference. Um, for me, is a real um, human tragedy. And, and we want to redouble the efforts to bring people back.
0: Mm. You're listening to Max Politics here with Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm uh, very pleased to be joined by the Chancellor of CUNY, Felix Matos Rodriguez. Thank you very much for taking the time with me. Just a few more questions before I let you go. Um, the... DOE system that you referenced a couple times there, Department of Education, New York City school system, has a new chancellor. There's a new mayor. Um, on the other end of what we were talking about, about career readiness, of course, is college readiness. Yep. Uh, is there because we don't have time, obviously, to get into all the different details, but is there one or, or two things that you said to Chancellor David Banks, the new school's chancellor? Here's one or two things that CUNY would really love to see from the DOE system to help students be more ready when they
1: when they come to us. So um, we could have another podcast. Yeah, yeah uh, I know. I know. <laughs> that, and I know that would be music know, to your ears. Right? But let me just say a couple of things. First, really bless um, a priority for the mayor, uh, Chancellor Banks. He's an old friend so that facilitates uh the engagement so we were talking um the moment that he got that he got uh, appointed um and uh, and there's a couple of things where we are uh, working very closely one is trying to signal to the students uh, as early as possible maybe around uh, 10th grade or so uh some of the things that they might want to do in order to be totally fully college ready to come to CUNY. Right, as opposed to waiting for somebody graduating and then finding out that they might need to do uh, some additional work because then they didn't have you know all the math that they needed or the English. If we if if we have the tools, right, to have a sense of where that student might be going as early as tenth grade, why are we not intentional engaging that student and their families, letting them know about some of the options that they might have available to be able to be totally college ready. There's some interventions that CUNY has, right? We've been, for example, in our College Now courses, which are college uh, college courses that students take in high school, right? putting co-curricular material, right? If, if, If we think that you might need what we call remediation to go to a community college, and we have a class that meets that requirement, why don't we put that in the College Now so you have that menu and you have that available for you senior year, and then you're college ready to come to CUNY. So we're doing all those things to signal as early as possible that college readiness, and then provide a menu of options so that you are ready. We also would love to do that connecting with thinking about careers, going back to one of your original questions, right? Begin to put in your mind the areas, the pathways that you might want to, the, the ramps of options you might want to have to be able to um, um, uh, to do that. So we've are in conversations about that and and I think some changes are going to come uh that are going to make that easier we're also trying to find ways to make the application process a lot smoother if you know that 80 and 85 percent of the students are going to end up in CUNY are there things that we can do right to just make that application easier to signal to you that we want you that you're ready for college and there's a place for you at, at CUNY and there's been great receptivity um in in chancellor banks uh, in 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 doing that, so I, I am very um, enthusiastic. Another area, uh, and I was actually with chancellor banks and uh, the bar president uh, Botstein uh, last Friday, celebrating twenty years of early college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the early college movement has proven that it is a great formula to get students ready for college work and to have them graduate high school and graduate college in record numbers and be better prepared and have all the indicators of success. We run 20 early college models. And we think that um, and this is really a a state question, right, Um, that that we might want to do a lot more in that space because it is cost effective and good for the students. So uh, I think that you're gonna be hearing a couple of new initiatives coming up um, of, of our partnership with the DOE. And um, and from my end is an alignment, a chancellor yeah. who's a partner and cares, a mayor who does that and supports us, and a governor that, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, has given CUNY uh, the best budget that we've seen in decades, right?
0: I was just gonna reference that again. Um, we don't have time to get into a lot more, but um there's been some some significant uh, additional funds coming towards CUNY on a variety of of fronts, Uh, capital money, uh, things to help with student expenses, things to make sure you can um, move some faculty from adjunct status to full uh, professor status. Um, I want to ask you one quick thing about that. But before that, um, is when we talk about retention, when we talk about bringing kids into CUNY from the DOE system, all of these uh, things related to, students uh, coming to you, staying with you in your system is going back to a free tuition model. This is obviously debated all the time, but is that something you see as a goal? And if so, under what circumstances?
1: Listen, I mean the the, the conversation on, on on free tuition, right, is something that is you know very much in people's minds. Uh, we are proud of uh, with the formula that we already have and the investment that we already have from the from the city and the federal government. You know, about sixty eight percent of our students attend tuition free, um, and some seventy three percent have no debt, which is a huge uh, victory given the the. Um, the national numbers of, of indebtedness. Uh, I, for me, I want to improve the academic experience of the students and take all the roadblocks in getting the DOE students to come to to CUNY. Uh, if we end up moving to a formula where tuition is free, uh, you know, we'll embrace that and provide uh, a quality education. Doing uh, doing that, but um, I would much rather spend my energy. And again, some of the changes on the career side of what we provide the students right now of making that pipeline from the DOE a lot more uh, seamless. And um, um, because I, I think that, that um, at the end of the day, free or almost free like we have now is the quality of that experience that's going to matter uh, to our students and their families.
0: That's interesting, uh, and in terms of that quality experience, let's come back to the, the this question in our final uh, minute here. The question of shifting some uh, number in the hundreds from adjunct uh, professors to full-time professors, there's a lot of different um, pieces of this equation. Are you ensuring in this process where there was additional funding allocated in the state budget to help with this very uh, issue, are you ensuring that most or some particular percentage of the new full-time positions are being filled by those who've been adjunct professors with you and not from folks coming outside the CUNY system? Is is there a system or a a percentage uh, involved there?
1: So if I said that, I'll be saying something that is illegal against the yeah, citizens. Okay. Right? Because mm-hmm. for those things, you need to have a search and you're identifying the best candidate internal or external for the position. And at the end of the day, that is what we want. Mm-hmm. I think that our adjuncts have an advantage in that question, right? When I was a college president and I looked at a resume of someone who had comparable credentials, uh, but somebody who had taught our CUNY students and had good teaching evaluations and good, that is that is a benefit, that is an asset. We're bringing someone in who's familiar with our students and the culture, right? So I think that um, the, the process will take care of that. They're familiar faces to many of our campuses, right? They know our students. Uh, and for me, it, the, the fact that we got those um, around 540 full-time faculty lines from the governor, uh, was really huge, because we want to, um, we have many, many quality adjuncts, but we know that the full-time faculty are not there just to teach. They're allowed there in, in their office hours. They're uh, advising for careers. They're doing all these things. They're full citizens in a, in a way. And we want to have a lot more of those for our students. So we're excited about this, but knowing the quality of our adjuncts, I would imagine that they're going to compete extremely well uh, for those positions. So we want the best talent to come to CUNY. We also want that talent to be diverse. We want to represent in our faculty the students that we serve. Uh, But we will do that always within the, the, the legal parameters of searches.
0: All right, I, I asked um, on social media if people had questions for you. I've gotten to a couple that people suggested. But in our last moment here, I got a few that I, I, I I'm not familiar with this um, situation, but I need to ask you because of the sensitive nature of the the situation. There's questions about a, a Stanford CUNY uh, program and uh, someone who's supposed to be an advisor from it who apparently has, a uh, questionable past around some harassment allegations with students. Is this something you're looking into? Um, uh, I, it's just brought to my attention. So, you know, uh, forgive me if you've already addressed no, this, but I, uh, but no, I'm thank, wondering. They,
1: thank you for the question. It is something that um, we have CUNY students participating in a program there. They come uh, just from a number of campuses. And the presidents in those campuses have been in conversations with the folks in Stanford to uh, guarantee the safety and uh, of our students in terms of engagement with that faculty member. Uh, and those conversations are ongoing as we speak. So it's something very much on the radar screen. And thank you also for uh, you know bringing it up to 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 the attention okay. of, the, of your uh, of the podcast listeners.
0: So we should expect some sort of way in which that's being addressed to be announced in, in shorter. Okay. All right. Well, I think people interested in that will be glad to know that, that that's being considered. All right. Uh, Chancellor Montes Rodriguez, I just want uh, any final thought as you move ahead here with the summer and look to next year, any, any parting words here in terms of where you're, you know, focusing your energies this summer to get ready for the next school year.
1: Well, both thank you for the opportunity and obviously any chance to uh, share the work that we're doing, delighted to do so. Uh, Listen, One of our biggest priorities is to be uh, an indispensable partner to New York City as we get out of this pandemic, um, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and financially. Um, And and we're committed to that front. Uh, We are lucky that um you know we have in our elected officials individuals who are very supportive of our work but are also challenging us to do more in our work and we're ready for that uh for that challenge we have a bank of talent in our students that represent all parts of new york represent all that's good about New York um, and it's talent that is going to stay in New York, right? So uh, I want to be part of that equation of uh, making sure they connect to the economy. And uh, and I'm hoping that we'll begin in the fall, the most normal academic year that we've had in years, uh, and I look forward to that so very much.
0: All right. CUNY Chancellor Felix Matos Rodriguez, really appreciate the time. Uh, We'll look forward to see what that looks like as the next school year is going to be here before you know it. But hopefully get uh, some chance for some uh, some relaxation this summer and we'll be um, we'll be checking in down the line. Thank you. Thanks for the time.